Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church. Today I'm continuing our sermon series that we started last week called A Complete Christian. We read a passage in 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 5 to 11 where we likened it to the rungs of a ladder. We said last week that we're standing on a place of grace, of acceptance by God, being loved by God, having our sins forgiven because we are believers. We are already on a platform that is in the heavenly places, Ephesians 2 verse 6 says. That's where we are. However, there is still a ladder from that place of grace, from that place of acceptance, love, forgiveness, having God at peace with us and being accepted by him. We still have a way to go to become fruitful Christians, a complete Christian. So he says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. So you already have faith. You're already a believer. But he says, add to your faith virtue. What does that word virtue mean? We're going to look at that today. Then he says, to virtue add knowledge. Okay, so I've got to add knowledge. I can't just sit on that platform of grace. There is some knowledge I must add. Then he says, to knowledge add self-control. Wow, that's interesting. I've got to do something to control myself. Then he says, to self-control add perseverance. That means staying at it for the long haul. And then to perseverance, add godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness, love. Now listen to this, he says in verse 8. For if these things are yours and abound, if you have these seven rungs of the ladder, even though you were already saved, if you add these seven things and they abound, they're getting more and more, then you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you have them, you will be fruitful. And then he goes on to say, But he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness. Short-sightedness gets worse and worse until you are blind if you don't add these things and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. It's possible for us to start on that place of forgiveness and grace, but we never do anything with it and we get short-sighted and blind. And then he goes to, on at the end to say, therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. Amen. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Imagine that finishing line, that finishing tape. As we get into heaven at the end of our lives, we burst through. We've added the seven rungs. We've accepted the grace that we're standing on. We have faith. And now we burst through. And he says there is a, a joyful entrance into the kingdom of God. We've been fruitful. We haven't been short-sighted or blind. We've been long-sighted. And we've seen all the good things that God has for us. And we encouraged you last week to say, come on, let's move on, church, Christians. Let's not fall into one of the two traps or the two ditches on either side of the road. Imagine there's this road that God wants you to walk down, but there is a, di a ditch on the one side which says, I don't have to do anything. I'm saved by grace through faith. 
It's not of myself. It's the gift of God, not by works, so no one could boast. That was Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. And we forget verse 10, which says, we are his workmanship created to do good works. So that's the one ditch where we just rest and do nothing and we think that's enough. And actually, there is a risk that we get short-sighted or blind and we stumble. The other ditch on the other side is we think that the ladder is not just seven rungs, but I've got to climb the ladder to be pleasing to God, to be acceptable to God, to be forgiven, to get into heaven. And every day we wake up and we're worried and we're sweating and we're saying, have I lost my salvation? Have I, have I failed God? Is he angry with me? Do I need to please him again? Do I need to do things to work into his favor? And God says, no, my child. Romans 5 verse 2 says, through Jesus, by faith, we have access to this grace in which we now stand and we are secure. And last week I reminded us that there are so many verses saying how secure we are in God's hand. He will never let anything take us out of his hand. He loves us even when we are faithless. But the ditches are to be too lazy or to think it's all our own effort. But when you put the two together, we said you get an electrical circuit and the device works as it was intended to work and we are fruitful and achieve things for the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul the Apostle said, I am what I am by the grace of God. He, he knew it was God's grace. It wasn't his own work. But then he says, but that grace wasn't in vain. No, I worked harder than everyone else. Yet it wasn't me working, but the grace of God in me that was working. Can you see that beautiful balance? So we want to look at this today. And I want to look at this word virtue. In verse 5, he says, for this very reason giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. He says for this very reason, and he's referring to the two verses before where he says God's divine power has already given us everything that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Notice the word virtue there in verse 3. So he says, for this very reason, because God in his glory and virtue. What is glory and virtue? What is virtue? Virtue is goodness and it's God's goodness. <laughs> Jesus was approached by a man um, who called him good. And Jesus was good. He was the only human being on earth who was good. But Jesus said, why do you call me good? Only God is good. This thing called virtue or goodness, uh, purity, uh, a beauty of character where my desires are good and my actions are good. That only is from God. Human beings, we read again and again throughout scripture, without God, we are lost. We are dirty, deceitful, wicked. We can't save ourselves. We have no desire to save ourselves. We have no ability to save ourselves. We are corrupt. We can't even turn towards God without him first reaching out and calling us. But it says here, for this very reason, because his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. God's got glory and virtue and he called us 
and we heard and we responded by faith, which is not a work. It's not something we earn or we, we can take credit for. It's just saying, yes, please, I believe it. Thank you. I receive it gratefully. Um, he says that we've been given that. And verse 4 says, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. God has promised you so many things, my dear friend that he'll never leave you, that he'll never forsake you, that he'll provide for you, that he'll guide you, that he'll watch over you, that there's heaven to come. There are promises and promises and promises, 7,000 at least in the Bible. It says that we've been given these promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And now this is the crux of the matter for today's sermon. Left by ourselves, we are part of the corruption that is in the world and we partake of it through lust. We have a fleshly nature that is corrupted and bent and broken and it wants the wrong things. We are born that way and we grow that way and we become more and more that way. And we are part of the corruption that is in the world through lust. But God, by his glory and virtue, called us gave us promises, and Jesus dying on the cross poured out his life so we could be forgiven and we could become partakers of the divine nature. Now, that is an astounding statement. Can I just tell you that I've been involved in some debates recently with some people who are believers, but they were criticizing a group of Christians who say that we can be partakers of the divine nature. They uh, said that we are claiming to be God. We are claiming to be little gods. And I want to say we never claim to be God. We never claim to be little gods. But we do believe and agree with Scripture that because of His gift, He has made us partakers of the divine nature. He's put that glory and virtue that is His goodness inside us and that is why we can add to our faith virtue now this is an astounding statement it's enough to get people stoned paul the apostle was criticized and persecuted and attacked because he said these kind of things that by grace not by our goodness we are corrupt but by grace god has made a way for us to be partakers of the divine nature, for God's goodness and his virtue to be put inside of me. And then I add that virtue as I allow the goodness that's in me to start working itself out in my life. And I want to spend the next 10 minutes or so just explaining to you how that works. And I want to say this is a radical teaching. People will say, no, you have to earn your way. You have to be good enough. Or they'll say, how dare you claim that God has put goodness and righteousness inside of you? You are a dirty, rotten person. You can't claim to be good. And again, let me emphasize, we don't claim to be good. But God has put his divine nature inside of us. So it starts all the way back in Jeremiah 31, where God says that he's going to institute a new covenant and he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, 
though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. So God made an initial covenant with Israel where he said to them, he wrote on tablets of stone, the Ten Commandments, and he said to them, be good, obey, do these things and avoid these things, and then I will be with you. And they broke it again and again and again. And you and I, if we try to keep rules and regulations, we will break it again and again because it's saying the law of God is outside of me and I'm using my own strength, my own ability, my flesh, if you like, to try and obey a bunch of rules and I can't do it. I I fail every single time. I'm not good enough. There is no one good, only God. But then he goes on to say in verse 33, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And he goes on to say he will forgive their iniquities and cleanse their sins. He says he's going to, instead of giving you the rules from the outside, written on stone or paper or whatever, instead of telling you these are the rules, now you obey them with your own strength. He says, I'm going to change their hearts. I'm going to put my law in their hearts and in their minds. I'm going to do something on the inside of them. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I hope I have time to get through this because it's so important for us to see it. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul says, You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly you are an epistle of Christ. So verse 3 of chapter 3. He says, You are a letter written by Christ, ministered by us. So Paul said we had some involvement. But then he says, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. He says to the Corinthian Christians, who were not just Jews, there were Gentiles there as well. So some people say, ah, this new covenant is only for the Jews. No, no. He says to everyone in Corinth, you are an epistle of Christ written by the Spirit of God, not on tablets of stone, but on your hearts. And this is the new covenant. What he's saying is that the Corinthians became believers. They saw Jesus's death for them on the cross. They accepted it by faith. Their sins were forgiven. And God wrote his laws, his desires, his his wishes for them on their hearts and on their minds. Another way of saying this is that God changes your want to. He doesn't say you have lustful desires, but just discipline your flesh and then you will you will be good. No, he says, I'm going to change you from the inside out. And this is the most astounding and wonderful thing. Philippians chapter two and verse 12 says this. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Can I just ask you to focus on those words? He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Next verse. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because God has already put in you. God is at work in you to will. That means to want to do his good pleasure and to do his good pleasure. He's put in you the desire 
to do His will and the ability to do His will. That's what 2 Peter 1 was saying. He's made us partakers of His divine nature, His glory and virtue. He's, he's put His virtue in us. And again, it's not us, but He's made us new in the Spirit. Another verse that talks about the new covenant in Ezekiel says this, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. God's plan was to change us from the inside out. And that's why it says he's working in us to want to do his will and to be able to do his will. But we have to work it out with fear and trembling. 2 Peter 1 says, add to your faith. He's called you by his glory and virtue. Add to this place of salvation, virtue. How do we do this? It's in me, but I've got to work it out. Again, there are two ditches. Some people think, well, it'll just happen automatically. God will change my desires automatically. I don't need to do anything. Other people think, no, no, I must work at it with my own effort. And they become Old Testament people who are trying to obey a bunch of rules written on the outside. But the balance is on the, in the middle where it's already in me. God has already put his virtue in me, but I need to work out how to work it out. And he says, add to your faith, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. And now I'm just going to spend a few moments telling you how we do this. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord. That means love the Lord. Be amazed and excited at who he is and what he's done. That's where in 2 Peter 1 where he says, for this reason, Give all diligence, add to your faith virtue for this reason. In other words, we're looking at what God has done and how great he is and who he is. There are so many verses that say this. Uh, Philippians 2 says, God is at work in you, therefore work out your salvation. Romans 12 verse 1 says, in view of God's mercy, present your body as a living sacrifice, renew your mind, and then you'll be able to know what his will is. It's when we delight ourselves in the Lord, when we look at God and we say, God, you're amazing. You're generous. I was turning away from you. I had nothing in me that could deserve goodness or deserve forgiveness or deserve salvation. And yet you called me. You washed me. You picked me up. You gave me the power to respond. You gave me a measure of faith so that I could believe in you. And now, Lord, I'm so grateful. And as we rejoice in that and we delight ourselves in the Lord, Psalm 37 verse 4 says, He gives you the desires of your heart. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean whatever desires you have or you had, he just says, okay, you want a new Porsche? I'll give you a new Porsche. Okay, you want this, you want that. No, no. What it's saying is that he changes your desires and gives you new desires in your heart. And then because he's with you and because you're stepping out with him, those desires start to come to pass. So you start to want what God wants. He works in you to will and to do according to his Good pleasure. Are you getting this picture, my friend? It's so important. I know I'm laboring the point, but the reason is because the two ditches that we can fall into are so dangerous 
that if we fall into the works ditch, which says, I've got to earn and deserve this. I've got to obey rules. I've got to discipline myself. I've got to make it happen myself. If we fall into that ditch, in Galatians 5, Paul was writing to the Galatians and he was saying, I despair for you. You've become estranged from Christ. Uh, Christ will profit you nothing. You've fallen away from grace. He says, how come you're running after a different gospel from the one that I, that I gave you? They, they started in grace by faith, just realizing it's a gift. And then they started trying to earn it by doing good works and obeying the law. He says, no, you've, you've actually fallen away from grace because you're trying to do it in your own strength. That ditch is so dangerous. The other ditch of just doing nothing and being passive is so dangerous because we get short-sighted. We start just looking at ourselves. Then we get blind and we stumble and we may not end up in heaven. And so there's this lovely balance in the middle and I'm trusting and believing that we can get there. How do we do it? Number one, delight yourself in the Lord. Read 2 Peter 1 verses 3 and 4 before you read verses 5 onwards. He says, His divine power, He's so amazing, His beauty, His divine power, has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. His glory, His virtue, His goodness called us, He drew us, He brought us in, He gave us what we needed for life and godliness. He forgave our sins. I'm delighting myself in that. When I rejoice in the grace of God, then I am changed. And the desires in my heart, the, the will and the do, start to change into God's desires. His Spirit, He's put a new Spirit in me. It's a clean Spirit. It's a good Spirit. It's the Spirit of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, We have become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, It's a new creation. Ephesians 4.24 says, the new man created to be like God in holiness and righteousness. That's what's in you. You're partakers of the divine nature. He's put that in you, but we've now got to work it out by delighting in Him. That's the first rung on the ladder. We add virtue by delighting in Him. And as we delight in Him, and as we see how good He is, how good He's been to us, how kind He's been to us, um, just all his characteristics and attributes. When we see God, we start to change and we want what he wants. Just one more verse. I already read to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, where he talks about being letters written on our hearts and, and, and by the Spirit. And at the end of that chapter, he says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Let me go through that again for you, and, and I really want you to get this. He says, we all, all of us believers together, especially when we're worshiping corporately and worshiping God together, we all with unveiled face. That means we're, there's nothing between us and God. There's nothing between us and each other. We are open and transparent and real. We're not putting on a pretense. We're not putting on a mask, although for COVID we may need to. But he says before God, there, we are unveiled in our worship. He says, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Now, the reason he says as in a mirror is because as I look at the goodness and the glory of the Lord, there is a part of that in me. I have 
become a partaker of the divine nature. And so as I'm looking at God, I say, wow, there's some of that in me. And as I'm beholding his glory and I'm loving him and I'm worshiping him and I'm telling him his glory and virtue is beautiful and amazing. His mercy to me is so wonderful. It says we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the spirit of the Lord. This is how we add virtue is by delighting in the Lord by worshiping him, by looking at him and seeing who he really is. And when I say who he really is, we've got to take what the Bible says that he is. That's why the next rung of the ladder in 2 Peter 1 is add to virtue knowledge. We've got to get the knowledge of God from his word. It's not just a question of me saying, I want God to be like me or like I would like him to be or let me fashion God the way that I think he should be. No, no, I've got to look at the real God the goodness of God. There is no one good but God alone. Look at him in his word. Absorb it. Love it. Uh, just gaze on his glory and delight in the Lord. And then he starts to change my heart. Lord Jesus, please would you change us. Please would you give us the desires of our heart that are your desires. Please would you give us more of that virtue, that divine nature that you've already put in us. Help us to work it out, Lord, by loving you, by worshiping you, by delighting in you. And I pray, Lord, that my desires would change day by day to become like your desires, that I want what you want and that I become more and more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry by making a donation on the giving page at leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.